I had never heard that song before, and I love it. And it really fits right in with what I'm going to talk about today for our last session. So this is session number six in less than 24 hours. And you just ate lunch. <laughs> so I'll make you a deal. If you stay awake, I'll cut it short. How's that? <laughs> so um, is there a PowerPoint going up there or... Do we not? Perfect. Wonderful. Because that's kind of my little illustration for this session. That right there is a Canadian coin. You know that I spent 18 years in Canada and got really used to, they didn't have $1 bills, they had $1 coins, and this is a $1 coin. And they called it a loony because the loon was on it. And then later on, they made a $2 coin and they called it the toonie. <laughs> so we had loonies and toonies. <laughs> but this coin is bronze on the outside. So about 8.5% of it is bronze, but about 91.5% of it is what's on the inside, and it's nickel. And so that's going to illustrate our lesson for us today. We're going to go to Philippians 4, and we're going to walk through verses 10 through 13. I'll read the verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in. So I told you I'll cut it short. Sandy said I had two hours, so I'll cut it back to one and a half. How about that? <laughs> I'll even cut it back to one, because you guys are special, right? So, Okay, let's read this. Um, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul talking here, he's talking, he's writing this from prison, and he's talking to the Philippians, and he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage because it gives us hope that we can learn to be content. And Lord, when uh, discontentment assails us and we um, get frustrated, uh, help us to run to you and run to this passage and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, thank you so much that you've provided this. It's just proof of your love. Lord, when you convict us, it's proof of your love. When you forgive us, it's proof of your love. When you shower us with mercies, it's proof of your love. Thank you so much, God, that you prove your love to us over and over and over again. I pray today we would learn to be content because we understand how much you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is probably not the first time you've ever heard someone say to you, we need to learn to be content, right? You've all, you've, most of you have been in church a lot, and you have heard pastors preach on, and we need to learn to be content. So why is it that we struggle with contentment? Paul here is in prison. He was beaten, savagely beaten, thrown into prison. Um, they, they told the jailer, don't, make sure you don't let him out, so they fastened him up real safely. And, and then he wrote this. Was it just that Paul was a super Christian? 
It's just, oh, he's the Apostle Paul. Of course he could do it. Or can we do it too? And the reason we know we can do this too is because it's right here in the Bible. I want to point out first that he said, I, um, I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul's rejoicing was in the Lord. He was guarded day and night by soldiers. He was unable to work to support himself. He was awaiting trial where they could throw him to the lions or cut his head off. And you know, I wonder if he was tempted to like blame the churches. Why don't they support me better? Or maybe he could have thought to himself, I'm an idiot for serving God. You know, I used to have this good life, I started serving God, and now look what I got. I wonder if he struggled with that ever. Jim had a guy he led to the Lord a long time ago, and the guy said, every time I get right with God, things go wrong. <laughs> and Jim said, well, yeah, because Satan doesn't like that. Paul could have blamed God for allowing, God, I gave up everything to serve you, and this is what I get? This is what you're doing to me? But Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. If you look back in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. Why is he saying it twice? Because it's important. He emphasizes it because it's so important. And Jim often talks to teenagers, and he always tells them there's no stupid rules in the Bible. Because teenagers often think, oh, what are the rules? You know, rules, I don't like rules. There are no stupid rules in the Bible. Every rule in the Bible is written for you and for your good. This command is for your good because God loves you. The word rejoice means to be glad or be delighted in. And Paul said, I was, we'll paraphrase it, I rejoiced, I was glad, I delighted in the Lord. He's not delighting in his circumstances, right? I mean, he's in prison. It wasn't like our prisons today either. This was a horrible place to be, but he was delighting in the Lord. So the first side of the coin that we're going to look at is Paul's rejoicing was in the Lord. In Acts 16, there's a story of a slave girl who brought her master as much profit by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul around, and she kept saying, these men are here in the name of the Most High God. Well, Paul commanded the demon to leave her in the name of Jesus. And he did. And the girl was healed from that. And her masters were so thankful that Paul and Silas had done this. Oh, man, they were mad. There went the money. Whoa, man, they grabbed them. They hauled them through town and turned them in. You know, when you affect the money, that really affects the person. And so they did not like it. They turned them in. The multitude rose up against them. Why did the multitude rise up against them? Because it was a mob. They just incited them. They got them going. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten. They beat them with many stripes, put them in prison, and put their feet in stocks. And what did Paul and Silas do? Sat there and whined and complained about their circumstances, right? Oh, I hate this. Oh, life stinks right now. Oh, I can't believe this has happened to me. I don't like where I am right now. And all the things we're tempted to say when life isn't what we like. <laughs> You got ahead of me, but we're getting there. When you come to circumstances like that, you have two choices. You can be like this little guy and you can whine. He is not happy with his circumstances. You can whine or you can. The next one's going to say you can worship. And really, that's what it boils down to is your two choices. And we come to circumstances we don't like, and we get discontent, and we get bothered by them. And, and do we have circumstances that are hard? Yes, we do. And some of you have hard, hard circumstances. 
But let me tell you, no matter how hard your circumstances, you still have these two choices. You can whine or you can worship. I've often heard people say, and I too have said, oh, this is hard. What I'm going through is hard. We have this huge trial. Or maybe like Naomi, we say, God has dealt bitterly with me. What, what's your go-to? What's your default when things go wrong or your circumstances are hard? Sometimes women watch chick flicks where everything goes great or at least ends up great. Sometimes we turn to food. Sometimes we turn to friends. Not that any of those in and of themselves are sinful, but if that's what you're counting on to make you content, it's just simply not going to work. The best thing to do is run to God and let him reprioritize your thoughts. Pray and sing praise to God. Do you think Paul and Silas felt like praying and singing praise to God? I don't think they necessarily felt like it, but they made a choice, right? When I talk about Paul and singing praises, and I keep saying the P's, and I hope I'm not, is that still clicking when I do that? Not? Okay, I try not to do that as much. A while ago, I, um, when Jim and I travel, I don't like to travel, and part of it is because my legs start to ache when I'm riding along a long time. And we were traveling from Canada, the eastern part of Canada, down into Wisconsin to a family camp. And I had just, I had these notes with me because I was going to teach them at family camp. <laughs> And, uh, and my legs started to ache, and pretty soon it was down on my whole leg, and I'm putting it up on the dash, and I'm putting it outside the, not out the window, but up on the window. <laughs> that probably cure it. And, uh, and then I'm rubbing it, and I'm turning sideways, and I'm like, oh, everything in me just wanted to, what? Whine. Oh, like, this is hard. I don't like this. And I thought, okay, Joan, you're going to get up in front of those women tomorrow and tell them they can rejoice or they can whine. You better start doing it. And so I just started saying in my heart, I will bless you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Fast forward about three weeks ago, I was standing in my kitchen, and I was, I can't remember why. I was just really tired, and I was just like, oh, man. And I was feeling crabby. Do you ever feel crabby? <laughs> um, you're beautiful, ladies. I'm sure none of you feel crabby ever. But I felt crabby, and I thought, you know what, John, you still have the same choice. And I went out on the couch and sat down on the couch and just opened up my Bible and I said, God, i got to have you right now because I'm wanting to fall into self-pity and discontentment. And I started reading through. I don't even remember where I was, but it was. I started getting a grasp of, I get to worship God right now. I get to worship God. And... You know, it's one of those you had to be there kind of things. But I was half laughing and half crying. I'm like, I get to worship God right now. And I can't even remember what I was reading. I just remember the very act of running to God changed everything. And I started worshiping. And I just got up off that couch and I was a different person. So the first side of the coin is rejoicing in the Lord. This isn't a Pollyanna kind of thing like, well, somebody else has it worse. You can honestly face your circumstances and say, these are not good circumstances. It's not like you have to sugarcoat it or cover it up. You can just say, yeah, things are rough right now. When you need a Christian pep talk, God is the best motivational speaker you can get. If you have a friend that you're going to go to for help, make sure it's a friend who guides you back to God. 
You don't need a friend that says, oh, poor you. Oh, life, your life is hard. Oh, you need a friend that says, oh, but we can worship through this. We can thank God through this. We can learn to be content. When you're faced with circumstances you don't like, you have this choice. You can whine or you can worship. And I call it the rejoice choice. And it won't be easy at first. Have you ever sang when you didn't feel like it? It kind of comes out grumpy, sort of. But I promise you, after a couple words, maybe a verse, whatever, all of a sudden, you'll feel like it. Jim often says, feelings are the dividends that God pays on obedience. The obedience comes first. Feelings are the dividends. Those are what come after. I promise you, you make this rejoice choice, and this is going to happen, you with little kids, you're going to be up late at night, and your kids are going to be, and you're going to feel like being discontent. Maybe someone here is an older person, and you're alone, and you feel discontent. There's 101 ways we can feel discontent. But I promise you, when you make what I call the rejoice choice, you will notice a difference. And I know that because I've done it. So the first side of the coin is to rejoice. The other side of the coin is that Christians can learn to be content. Paul describes his circumstances here, and then he describes his response to it. Uh, he, he thanked them for their care of him, and he did need their care. When you were in prison in those days, you, it wasn't like they're bringing you wonderful meals every day. He asked them at one time, bring my coat. He must have been cold. So he needed care, and they gave it. You know, I can't find one time in the Bible where Paul asked for money or complained because he didn't have it. That isn't what he asked for when he asked for them for, to do something with him. In his many letters to the churches, he didn't even ask for them to, to pray that he would get out of prison. And that wouldn't have been wrong. It's okay to pray, Lord, get me out of this prison if that would be your will. But that's not what you see Paul praying for. Here he's rejoicing that God had moved the Philippian believers to help them, and he's thanking them for their care. I was sitting at the bank one day in Alberta, when I lived in Alberta, and I saw a sign. You had to wait a long time to get to a teller sometimes. And I saw a sign on the wall that said this. The average woman has more than 30 pairs of shoes. No wonder retail sales in Alberta reached over $4 billion last year. And I guiltily thought of my own closet full of shoes. We are by nature discontent, and we want more. Or could we be like... The man who sat down to his meal of bread and water said, all this and Jesus too? If you want to be content, here's some practical things to help you. And the first one is stay away from anything that causes you to lust. And lust just means a strong desire. So stay away from anything that causes you to lust. This would be malls. I'm not really a mall person, but I love online shopping. Because it's so easy. Click, click, click. Another click, and it'll show up on my doorstep. I like that. And it's kind of fun to just meander around and see what's out there for sale and put it in my basket. I'm not really going to check out. I'm just putting it in my basket. And that can get to be kind of addictive, you know? Next thing you know, I'm clicking on that little send thingy. Stay away from people who are consumed with buying. You, ever, you know that the, your friends influence you, right? And if you're around someone who's always buying and always have to have the latest and greatest thing and whatever it is, they just, they just always want more, do not be around those people if you can help it. 
because you will learn that. My daughter is married to a guy whose family has garage sales to fund their missions trips. What do you think she's going to learn as she hangs around them? I love it that she hangs around people, that that's their focus on, of money. It's not wrong to shop. I'm not saying it's wrong to shop. Just don't be consumed by it or be around others who are consumed by it. And I love this one. Choose to be preoccupied with the well-being of others. Some of the happiest people I know spend their days caring for others. And they're happy with it. If you want to get your mind off your discontentment, be busy with the well-being of others. And then know some of the enemies of contentment and watch for them. And number one is forgetfulness. I want to go to Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You've got to get there. Deuteronomy 6. God told these people that he was going to take them into a land. And he was going to give them a lot of things in that land that they didn't work for. He's going to give them wells that they didn't dig. Well, I'll just read it to you. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you large and beautiful cities that you did not build and houses full of good things which you did not fill and wells which you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. If you go over to chapter 8, he says almost the exact same thing. Beware, what's that mean? Be vigilant, be on guard, because when you get a lot of stuff, that's when you tend to forget. That's when you tend to forget the God who gave it to you. My husband took our oldest daughter, Anne, to the Philippines years ago, and they visited a little Bible college over there. And when she came home, she said, Mom, they had these board beds that they were sleeping on, just boards, no mattresses. She said, Dad and I bought them these little mattresses, and they were so excited. They were bouncing up and down on these little mattresses. They were just so excited. And I go look at my bed, and it's got the big bottom mattress, the big old, and then the pillow thing on the top, and and then I can become discontent. She said, those people are so happy over there and they have nothing. They've learned to be content. And so don't forget God when you get full. Years ago, um, we had some company and I saw a notebook sitting on our table and I was getting ready for supper so I was gonna move the notebook out of the way so I opened it up to see which one of my kids it was and it turned out it was our guest's notebook and it was a works of God notebook and I, read a couple of the works of God's in his notebook before I kind of realized, oh wait, this isn't ours. And it just, I don't even remember what they were, but I just remember thinking, oh, works of God notebook, that's a cool thing. I'm going to start writing down every time God does a work or provides or, or teaches me something or whatever. And you know why? We forget. The children of Israel were forgetful and we are forgetful. It's a very good idea to write. You go back, I found something I wrote probably 15, 16 years ago about our washer was broken and how God provided a new one. I'd totally forgotten that, but I wrote it down. And it helps me to remember God always supplies my needs. So don't forget what God has given you and done for you. Keep a works of God notebook. And then comparisons make us discontent. We compare looks and clothes and money. We compare intangible things like our sacrifice compared to their sacrifice, our hard work compared to their hard work, our commitment compared to their commitment, our good works compared to their, we compare and we get discontent. 
You either get proud because you think you're better or you get discontent because you think you're worse. So when the Bible says don't compare, there's a reason for it. And then expectations. We get discontent because our expectations aren't met. We expect that life will be fair and life isn't fair. And then we get discontent. We expect that people will like me and sometimes people don't like me and I'm discontent. We expect that our friends or family or whoever will support us and sometimes they don't and we get discontent. We expect we, have, we will have good health and when we don't, we get discontent. On a side note here, you can model, dis, you can model contentment to your children and the, the next generation around you the young women at church, if they see the older women, which is, you know, doesn't have to be 90, but it could be 30, if they see the older women in their life discontent, what are they going to learn? They're like, I don't want to serve God. It doesn't make you very happy. But if they see contentment, much more is caught than taught. Can you model contentment for the women, the young women that you're around? Do you complain about your husband in front of the children? Do you complain about your pastor in front of your children? Do you complain about finances in front of the children? Do you complain about your clothes or the food or the weather or your car or whatever? Paul says, everywhere in all things, I have learned to be content. Learning to be content will drastically improve your marriage. You know how I know? Because <laughs> I know from experience. When you're content, with God, you're not depending on your husband to be everything that only God can be, and therefore that frees you up to be a loving wife. It frees you up to be a content wife. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be content. We mostly talk about being content with little. We always say, well, if you only have a little. But, you know, we have to learn to be content with a lot, too, not just want more or, not, or, or find fault with what it is. We need to make daily the rejoice choice to be content with God's provision. You are not the product of your circumstances. You are the product of your choices. You are not the product of your circumstances. You are the product of your choices. You can say, well, because I grew up this way or because this, this, and this happened. You are the product of the choices you make even though your circumstances are not desirable. So we have the two sides of the coin. Christians can learn to be content. And the other side of the coin is Paul learned to rejoice always. And now we come to my favorite part, and that's the inside of the coin. Remember I told you that the outside of the coin is 8.5% bronze, and the inside of the coin is 91.5% nickel? Well, the nickel in the coin is very, very durable. It doesn't fracture. It's just strong. And that's why they make most of it out of nickel, and then they just coat it on the outside with the pretty stuff. And that's just like what's inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself inside of us, giving us the strength to do this. So which came first, the rejoicing or the being content? Was he content because he was rejoicing? Was he rejoicing because he was tent, content? Well, neither one. What came first was Christ in him. You know, a lot of people claim this verse Athletes claim this verse, churches claim this verse, groups claim this verse, but what it's really saying is that Paul could rejoice and be content in all circumstances because Christ gave him the strength to do it. He wasn't telling the Philippian Christians that they could sink a basket because Christ was going to sink the ball in the 
basketball and a hoop or whatever. I was going to say the puck in the net, but I wasn't sure if this was hockey country or not. So <laughs> you could tell I don't know much about basketball. Uh, but anyway, it's not an athlete's verse just that they can make a score in their game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this is I can rejoice and be content because I have Christ inside of me. And so do you. When my children were small, their piano teacher had a sign in her studio that said, if you think you can't, you can't. If you think you can, you can. I think she was trying to teach them the power of a positive attitude. But one day on the way home, my son said, Mom, that's a dumb sign. Just because I think I can do something doesn't mean that I can. He said, I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> he's still a kid, but he's remembering way back to when he was a kid. He said, I thought I could fly and I jumped off the couch and I landed on the floor. <laughs> well, that's true. Just because you think you can doesn't mean you can. He thought he could fly and he couldn't fly. So it, this isn't the, just the power of a positive attitude. This is the power of Christ in you. Paul is saying, I can do all this because of Christ's strength in me. Paul wasn't just, oh, he's such a super Christian. He was such a dedicated, diligent, disciplined man. No, he was saying, I can't do this either without God, and neither can you. The confidence in this verse doesn't come from a positive attitude. It comes from Christ's power in us. If God says to do it, he always helps us do it. I can confidently say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because the nickel inside of the coin is made of powerful stuff that doesn't crack under pressure. Does it ever amaze you that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? I actually have God himself inside of me. That's amazing. But he's there for a purpose. He's there to empower you to do his commands. And you can do it. The confidence in the person and work of Christ leads to rejoicing and contentment. Remember the person I said that sat down to his meal of bread and water and said, all this and Jesus too? And you're thinking, did he really mean that? Yeah, I don't know who it was, but the story goes that he really did mean it. He knew that Jesus satisfies. He's powerful enough to save you from hell? I think he's powerful enough to help you be content. I have gone to the Lord and said, this, I can't do this without you. I remember one time God was asking me to love a person in our church who was not lovable. And I remember getting down on my knees beside my bed saying, God, there's nothing in me that loves this person right now. You're going to have to help me. And he did. It wasn't me at all. Because I knew there was not one ounce of love for me, love for that person in me. But God that power of Christ in me, the power of the Holy Spirit in me helped me to love that person. And honestly, the feelings that God paid on, that person and I are friends to this day. If I go to Canada and I see her, we sit down and have a great conversation. But it's because I got on my knees and said, I can't do without you, God. And he came through for me. Remember I told you, the fervent prayer always gets an answer, always gets an answer. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Rejoicing or contentment? What actually comes first is Christ in me. Being confident in Christ, and then both sides of the coin happen together. You can choose to rejoice. You can choose to be content because you have Christ in you. This, this goes right down to the when I get out of bed tomorrow morning stuff, right? The Bible is so practical for everyday life. I get out of bed tomorrow morning, and if I don't like it because it's raining, I can choose to rejoice, can't I? If I don't like it that 
my leg hurts when I'm traveling, I can choose to rejoice, right? Because I have the power of Christ in me. A friend gave me a wall decoration with a song on it, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face. And what happens? The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And sometimes I'm looking at Jesus and I'm like, God, I love you. And then the next day I get a little focused over here. Oh, I don't like these. But as soon as I get back focused on Him, things of earth all fall into their place, right? We just need to focus on Jesus and, and let that power that's in us work in us. I want to turn to Psalms 119, and, and I want us to read out loud together. I want some verses in there, because I thought these were just so good. Psalms 119, and I think Desiree read them on What's today? Yesterday. <laughs> Sandy, I've been hanging around her too long. I can't, I can't think what day it is anymore. I think I know what year it is, though. <laughs> it's 2023, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're like, get her out of there, quick. <laughs> okay, so I want to go to Psalms 119, verses 36 and 37, because I think these, if we could pray these verses out loud to God, and just ask him to do this for us. And I, it doesn't matter what version you have. I'm reading from the New King James, but just read whatever you have, because I want us to read it out loud together. Read it with me. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the power of Christ in us. God, you've given us a beautiful, beautiful gift in the Holy Spirit. Lord, the Holy Spirit comforts us, encourages us, strengthens us, convicts us, challenges us, teaches us. Oh, God, what a gift. And, and Jesus, you said when you left, don't be sad that I'm leaving. I'm sending you the Comforter. And God, I pray that the Comforter would come alongside us and help us in those moments when we're struggling with discontent to say, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. God, we need your help. Sometimes there's not an ounce of this in us. And we fall on our knees before you and say, God, we need you. We need you to help us rejoice in you greatly. And God, I know that you'll do that, and I'm so thankful that you answer those prayers so, so beautifully. God, I love you. We all love you. Help us to turn our eyes upon you and focus on you and help us to rejoice and learn to be content. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.